0: Welcome to The Debrief on ABC News Live. I'm Natalie Brunel. Thanks for joining us on this busy Thursday. We're following a lot of big stories, including the leadership crisis in Virginia, where the top three government officials are all facing scandals. President Trump has been tweeting up a storm in the Capitol, and we're following the path of a deadly ice storm. All that and more, but first, here are your headlines.
1: A five-year-old girl was pulled alive from the rubble 19 hours after the collapse of an eight-story apartment building in Istanbul. Rescue workers pulled six others out of the rubble and are working to free more residents that could be trapped.
2: A leading Vatican journalist is applauding Pope Francis for admitting to hidden widespread violence against nuns.
3: Speaking to journalists, the pope admitted that sexual abuse by priests of nuns is a problem. The first pope ever to have publicly acknowledged the issue.
2: 26-year-old man is in custody after 17-year veteran police officer Matthew Rittner was shot and killed while trying to execute a search warrant. Rittner, the third Milwaukee cop to be killed in the line of duty in the past eight months. Lyft is going to offer an electric option. Passengers on the ride hailing service will soon be able to request rides in electric or hybrid vehicles. The feature is being launched first in Seattle.
0: Well, we begin in Washington, D.C. where President Trump has been lashing out at Democrats in a series of tweets this morning after the House Intelligence Committee announced a new probe into possible Russian interference in 2016 and into the president's financial ties. For that, we bring in ABC's
1: Stephanie Ramos at the White House. Stephanie, can you break it down for us? Absolutely, Natalie. So House Democrats are moving forward with multiple investigations into the Trump White House. And the president, he's not happy about it. He's been tweeting about it this morning, calling the move presidential harassment. So here's why. As you mentioned, the House Intelligence Committee has announced this new investigation into the president, his family, his finances, Russia, and more. Democrats even today laying down the groundwork to secure the president's tax returns. And you're looking at that tweet, that first tweet from this morning from the president where he says that... uh, uh, Congressman Adam Schiff announces after having found zero Russian collusion that he is going to be looking at every aspect of my life. Uh, the president also tweeting that the Dems and their committees are, quote, going nuts. The president clearly expressing his frustration with the House Intel Democrats and somewhat refreshing some of the arguments he's made over the special counsel investigation. But House Democrats, they are moving forward. They are not letting any of these tweets stop them. Uh, the chairman of the House Intel committee COMMITTEE, ADAM SCHIFF, HE SAYS THE AMERICAN PEOPLE HAVE A RIGHT TO KNOW THAT THE PRESIDENT IS WORKING ON THEIR BEHALF AND NOT FOR ANYONE ELSE RELATED TO ALLEGATIONS OF LEVERAGE BY RUSSIANS, THE SAUDIS, OR BASICALLY ANYBODY ELSE. NATALIE? WELL, STEPHANIE, THIS IS WHAT'S TO BE
0: EXPECTED FROM A DEMOCRATIC-LED HOUSE, AND YESTERDAY WE KNOW THE HOUSE held ITS FIRST HEARING ON GUN CONTROL IN EIGHT YEARS, AND TODAY THE DEMOCRATS ARE UNVEILING THE GREEN NEW DEAL. WHAT CAN WE EXPECT
1: FROM THAT, STEPHANIE? They definitely are. So Democrats, including Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, are calling for this Green New Deal to combat climate change. She's teaming up with veteran Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts on the plan. There you see her on Capitol Hill with hundreds of pro-environment activists that have been on Capitol Hill, lobbying lawmakers uh, on on the Capitol uh, pressuring Democratic leaders to, to roll with this, to go with this new deal for the new majorities agenda in the next Congress. We'll see if they do that. Now, President Trump has scrapped, uh, President Obama's plans, which, which is a similar plan. So we'll see where he goes with this, but it is highly unlikely that he or the Republican, uh, controlled Senate, uh, will, will approve this plan. All right, thank you so much, Stephanie
0: Ramos, at the White House for us. We know you will stay on top of all of it. And we turn now to the Midwest and the deadly ice storm that is moving east. We go to Alex Perez in Wilmington, Illinois. Alex, you've been freezing for what it seems like weeks now. How are the temperatures there today?
4: Uh, Temperatures are actually moderate today compared to what we were dealing with last week, but that deep freeze that we had last week is still creating a lot of problems this week. Take a look around me here. We're on the banks of the Kankakee River here, and you can see it looks like a scene out of a movie. All of this ice icebergs um, created because of that deep freeze. It looks like a glacier melting here, and if you look across the way, you might be able to see chunks of ice floating there. The Kankakee River is now moving after that Ice jam, But, of course, this is creating problems in this area. People who live along the river here had to evacuate their homes. Thankfully, they've been allowed to come back, and it appears authorities say there are no reports of any major damage. But the ice here, the ice across the Midwest, creating a lot of problems, especially on roadways. Uh, Authorities really struggling to keep up with all the responses they have to make to crashes in Missouri. There were more than 600 crashes reported in a 24-hour period. So, this ice, this deep freeze, followed by a brief warm up, creating a lot of problems. Natalie. All
0: right. Thank you so much, Alex Perez in Wilmington, Illinois. And a lot of those icy problems and wet weather is continuing in Tennessee with flooding and tornado warnings. For a look on the ground there, we go to WKRN's Morgan Hightower and Brent Ramadna.
5: Thanks, Natalie. We're here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and this road right behind me, Cumberland Street, is one of the main arteries into downtown Lebanon. This right here is typically a dry creek bed, but this morning, several feet of water has filled it, and earlier today, it was rushing up over the roadways, causing some major problems for people in this area. Right now, the water has receded, but there is evidence of how high it was last night. Like, right here, you can see these sticks and grass left behind where typically there is no water in this creek bed. Overnight, water rushing over the roadways, creating out flooded out spots drivers had to avoid but in Wilson County, there were at least four water rescues, one happening on South Cumberland where Wilson County Emergency Management tells us a driver passed a barricade and was quickly stopped in the flooded water. Firefighters with the Lebanon Fire Department were able to safely rescue the driver and get the car out of the roadway. More than 40 weather related calls overnight with a dozen roads deemed impassable because of standing water on on the roadways. Now we want to show you this as more evidence as to how high the water got just in this particular area. You can see this line of debris signifying that water line that has now receded. But a lot of issues in Lebanon as school districts in this area were closed because of all the flooding related problems reporting in Lebanon, Tennessee. Morgan
0: Hightower, back to you. Morgan, thank you. It's good to see some of that water receding. We go now to Brent Ramadna.
6: Roads are closed and water continues to rise as overnight storms swept across Middle Tennessee. A 53-year-old woman losing her life after she was swept away while trying to walk across a bridge. Just down the road and minutes later, a water rescue after someone was stuck in their car as water continued to rise. Residents in this area saying it was
2: tough to make it home last night. I, I come home about 9.15 last night and end up sleeping in my car. I couldn't even get across, and I woke up a little while ago and thought, well, I'll go get some coffee and ride around and check and see what I can do, you know, to get out. And uh, it's still over, the, over my bridge, so I, I still can't get to the house.
6: Now as the water goes down, we're starting to get our first look at some of the damage and just how high that water was. This SUV where someone was saved last night, the water all the way up to the windshield and this field covered in water, usually sitting empty, even debris scattered throughout the tree line. Now as time goes on, authorities still warning drivers to be safe and cautious as there's still debris and mud and even water covering some of these roadways. For ABC News, I'm Brent Ramadna in Cheatham County, Tennessee. Back to you, Natalie.
0: Brent, thank you. Just such crazy weather. It's making me miss my home in California. And the wet weather, the icy storm's not over. For a complete forecast, we go now to ABC's Ginger Z.
7: Natalie, thank you. How about we talk about this storm? There's so many elements to it. We have to start with the cold part, right? So this is the Denver video that you're seeing. And they get 3.1 inches of snow, which you say, well, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It's winter. It's Denver. They haven't had this big of a snow the entire season. They've been very snow starved, as we call it. Closer to the city, uh, you had up to six inches of snow. And so schools were closed, businesses delayed, and now really cold air settles in. And that was the problem here, cold air over warm air, um, and you get freezing rain, ice, and you get a flipping bus. Um, I believe everybody okay there. Moving then on to what happened on the southern end, that would be the flash flooding in Tennessee. One person was swept away and killed. Uh, Water rescue is ongoing uh, because that will be another round of severe storms and even flood Uh, watches that are in place from Southern Ohio, so Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Louisville, Memphis, all in that. Uh, But this is the low. That's the culprit. On the northern side, it's the snow. On the southern, obviously, the heavy rains and the severe storms. That's the part that comes. When this time of year, when you start to get a really, really big push of cold air and you have that spring-like warmth, it's a big gradient, a temperature gradient, we call it, and you can get that kind of formation of thunderstorms that can become severe. So damaging wind is one of the issues. Also, though, prior to it becoming more linear uh, along the cold front, you could even see some isolated cells, and we call them supercells, that could rotate and you could even see tornadoes. So if you're in um, Carbondale, Illinois, Mount Vernon, Illinois, Paducah, Memphis, uh, almost to Nashville, kind of Jackson, uh, Tennessee, you're going to be wanting to watch this later this afternoon and into the early evening. So that's a look at what's happening with this storm. We're going to finally
0: move this thing east for the weekend. Natalie. Ginger, thank you and I'll be here for all that cold weather as well. Uh, We turn now to the West Coast to a gas explosion that rocked a busy San Francisco neighborhood yesterday afternoon. We have ABC's will Carr on the ground with the latest on the damage.
8: Good morning, Natalie Cruz have been out here working throughout the night and throughout the morning. Investigators say that it was a private construction company that was working underground on Wednesday when they hit a gas line and that created that massive fireball that shot up into the air for three hours out here. You can see that charred building right there. That was a very popular restaurant in this area that is normally packed with people around lunchtime. They say the streets started rumbling, everything started shaking, and they took off running for their lives. More than 100 firefighters responded to this three-alarm fire. It took three hours for the utility company to get in there and to cap the gas line and for them to put this fire out. Now again, investigators believe this is a private construction company that hit that gas line, but it's a line that's operated by PG&E, the utility company that's come under a lot of scrutiny recently, especially after PG&E filed for bankruptcy last month, Natalie.
0: All right. Well, thank you. A lot of damage, but fortunately, no injuries. And we turn now to Texas, Tomball, Texas, which is near Houston, where we find ABC's Marcus Moore. Police there are on the hunt for a suspect who apparently gunned down a woman while she was setting up a garage sale. Marcus, what can you tell us?
9: Uh, Natalie, that's right, and there's video of this happening in this this neighborhood. But before we get to the video, Natalie, I want to show you the neighborhood and give you a sense of just how quiet it is here. That shooting happened in this driveway, and um, look around. I mean, it's your typical Texas neighborhood. As you mentioned, Tomball is a suburb of, of Houston, and the shooting that happened on January 25th occurred in the full view of a security camera at a home across the street. It is disturbing video. We're not gonna show you the actual shooting uh, as it happens, but we do want you to see the video and wanna warn you that it is still very disturbing. Um, January 25th, a young woman by the name of Elizabeth Barraza was setting up for a garage sale at her home. And in the video, you see a suspect walk up and confront her. There's a small, seems like a brief conversation that happens between the two. And then seconds later, Barraza is shot four times At point-blank range, and the shooter takes off, runs off on foot, you see that in the video, and then uh, moments later that shooter gets into a dark-colored truck and drives away from the scene. This is a critical clue as investigators try to determine uh, who shot Elizabeth Barraza and why. This happened at 6.55 in the morning. And just to give you a timeline of how this all played out, Barraza's husband had just left for work at about 6.48 in the morning. And it was four minutes after he left, police say, that the truck, the suspect truck, drives into the neighborhood. And then at uh, 6.55 a.m., Barraza is shot. But, uh, Natalie, this is a case that is absolutely shrouded in mystery because, as I speak to you right now, Uh, Police uh, have not made any arrests. They don't have any suspect information. It's also unclear to investigators whether it was a man or a woman who fired those shots in this driveway on January 25th. There's a reward of $20,000 out there for information, Uh, Natalie. Everyone in this community is just um, eager, and they are so desperate for a break in this case.
0: Yeah, I can imagine they're all heartbroken. Marcus, thank you so much. And I also saw our affiliate there, KTRK, was reporting she was raising money for an anniversary trip. Thank you so much for your report on that. And we go now to a story we've been covering for weeks. We are on the border of Colombia and Venezuela, and we are also in Caracas. Oh, ACTUALLY WE ARE GOING TO BE COVERING ANOTHER STORY RIGHT NOW, IT'S BEEN A CHAOTIC WEEK IN VIRGINIA, THIS IS ONE OF OUR TOP STORIES TODAY, A BAD WEEK FOR VIRGINIA FOR THE TOP THREE GOVERNMENT OFFICIALS THERE WHO ARE ALL UNDER FIRE, FACING POLITICAL SCANDALS AND FACING THE PRESSURE TO RESIGN. WE GO NOW TO RICHMOND, VIRGINIA, AND OUR CHIEF NATIONAL AFFAIRS CORRESPONDENT TOM YAMAS. TOM, FIRST IT WAS THE GOVERNOR, THEN THE LIEUTENANT GOVERNOR, AND NOW THE ATTORNEY GENERAL UNDER FIRE.
10: That's right. You have three different scandals colliding here in Richmond, Virginia. Just behind me, the state house and and what you're seeing behind me, these protesters are actually uh, pro-life demonstrators. Uh, They're here because this is one of the busiest times of the legislative season right now. It's budget day. So there's a lot of important business that needs to be going on. All of this happening with the backdrop that uh, Governor Ralph Northam admitted he appeared in blackface in 1984, dressing up as Michael Jackson. Every single, nearly every single Virginia politician had called on him to resign. Then the Lieutenant Governor, who is the next in line of succession, he gets accused of sexual assault from a case back in 2004. A professor from Scripps College, a political science professor, says at first she started a a consensual sort of uh, kissing relationship, if you will, with uh, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax, but then Lieutenant Governor Fairfax forced oral sex on her. Uh, Fairfax has denied these allegations, calling it a political smear. And then the Attorney General, also admitted yesterday that he appeared in blackface in the 1980s when he dressed up as the rapper Curtis Blow. So this has been taking so many twists and turns. It's been absolutely wild. And part of the problem is is that the Attorney General called on the governor to resign uh, for appearing in blackface, and yet he too has done the same thing. Virginia Democrats, and we've been chasing them all around the State House, have nothing to say at this point. They wanted Governor Northam to resign. He's actually a Democrat too, but they've been sort of silent when it comes to Lieutenant Governor Fairfax. And the same with uh, the Attorney General, because they said they want to wait and, and then put out statements later. Another big problem is that if those three men resign, the next person in line is a Republican. He's the Speaker of the House of Delegates, which is, which is just behind me. So, like I said, lots of twists and turns. The story changes every single day. We don't know exactly where it's gonna go, uh, but no one so far has resigned. Natalie.
0: Tom, are, are you getting a sense of whether it's likely that they will resign? And what is the public response to this? We're hearing about a lot of protests and pressure being put on them.
10: Well, there is a lot of pressure. Mark Herring, the attorney general, you know, sort of ran out of his office yesterday. We got a quick shot of him running into his car and then this morning he sort of zoomed back into his office. Uh, he has not released any new information. Lieutenant Governor Fairfax has hired the same uh, law firm that represented Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh during his confirmation hearing, which is very ironic because Dr. Uh, Vanessa Tyson, the woman who's accusing him, has hired the same firm as Dr. Ford uh, that, that that sort of uh, did all of her legal work. And with her during that same time during the Kavanaugh accusation as well Uh, but Fairfax is is standing still he is he's trying to see if he can sort of withstand all of all of this uh, all of these scandals surrounding him and then lieutenant and then the the governor uh, governor Northam One of his closest allies tells me that he's not gonna resign. Uh, So right now it's sort of a stalemate with all these scandals swirling and nobody sort of uh, resigning, but the calls are growing louder from all over Virginia, really, and all over the country for some of these politicians to step down. And Natalie, before I send it back to you, because I know you guys have to, to wrap this up, Uh, I want to say hello to a a journalism conference that's happening right now in uh, Loyola University in New Orleans. Uh, They're actually watching ABC News Live right now, and they wanted to watch this report, and they're watching the entire briefing room today for the first time. So we want to say hello to them as I send it back over to you.
0: All right. Thank you. And we say hello to them as well. And thank you, Tom, for following all those twists and turns. We know you will stay on top of it in Richmond, Virginia. And now we go to that story we've been covering for weeks, the humanitarian and political crisis in Venezuela. We have two reporters on the there We have Cody Weddle, a freelance journalist in Caracas and we go to Bruno Rober in a moment too. He is on the Colombia-Venezuela border, but first, Cody, what can you tell us? I heard that earlier you were at a breadline. People are just hoping that they can get food to eat.
3: Well, I'm still here. I'm actually outside of a pharmacy. If you want to take a look behind me, people are still waiting in line for medicines here. This is how it's been throughout the day today. This is something we've been seeing here uh, for years, as the government has struggled to import the medicines that people uh, need. So the word sort of gets out here that this pharmacy might have medicines today. People started arriving, um, and they're looking for antibiotics. They're looking for anti-inflammatory drugs. One guy even told me he's looking for Alzheimer's medication for his father. So we were speaking to them today about that decision by Nicolas Maduro to block the border uh, between Venezuela and Colombia and deny humanitarian aid. And uh, they were not happy with that decision. They were uh, enraged by the decision by Maduro and those photos that are coming out uh, of those container trucks blocking the bridge. Um, They're not happy about it. One guy said it is a crime what he is doing. Um, But for Maduro, he said any accepting humanitarian aid would be a guise for the United States to carry out a military intervention. For Juan Guaido, the other guy who claims to be the legitimate president here, certainly he's gaining some popularity here as it's clear that he wants to accept humanitarian aid for the people like this behind me who are suffering the effects of the humanitarian crisis.
0: Yeah, and Cody, you've been covering this for so long. What are people telling you about just the day-to-day experience right now in Caracas? How hard is it to just get through a week? I'm hearing that even a bag of pasta costs a week's salary.
3: Yeah, that's correct. People really have cut back. I mean, um, I think most adults now here in Caracas are eating about two times a day. The minimum wage, uh, about $6 a month. So that's less than a dollar a day. Um, And this is a country that used to be a middle-class country. It used to have a middle-class lifestyle much more on par uh, with the United States. So it's been just a, a spectacular collapse here. And for people who really became accustomed to living okay here, It's been really devastating for them now that most of the country here is living in poverty.
0: Thank you so much, Cody. And Cody mentioned that humanitarian support that's trying to make its way in on the Colombia-Venezuela border. For that, we go to Bruno Rober. What's it looking like out there?
2: Hi, Natalie. Well, what's extraordinary is to be in another country talking about the same issues. I'm in Venezuela, right on the border with Colombia, and we're at the Divine Providence Soup Kitchen. And you can see behind me lines and lines of people who are coming here picking up what is very probably their only meal of the day. Now they serve 4,000 of these just for lunch, they serve breakfast as well, and the snacks in the afternoon. Many of these people have actually walked from Venezuela across the border just to get what would probably be their only meal, some level of the sign of the desperation that people are in that they have to come to another country to get food. And this place has been in operation since 2017, the queue we walked in here, the queue stretches out of the compound and down the street. And what's interesting is how, as Cody was alluding to, humanitarian aid has become a big political weapon here. And, and, and you can see this is being used by Guaido, by his supporters, as a stick, if you like, to, uh, if not beat Medora, certainly John Jimmy him into making some compromises about how they move forward. Because there is aid coming, as we are told, to the border here that will cross at a time when it is deemed sufficiently safe to do so. Now Medora, by blocking it, as Cody is saying, is saying, my interests are more important and I think this is what these guys are sort of implying, than the interests of the people in Venezuela. It is complex because we have got issues of sovereignty here. But, I mean, let me just just walk you around a bit to get some sense. So this is not Venezuela. This is Colombia. And this is people who have come. Many of these people are now living on this side of the border because this is the only way they can actually survive. So this is not a humanitarian... This is a humanitarian crisis that's become... A political crisis
0: and this is not unlike the images that we've seen at the US Mexico border are these Venezuelans living in tent cities there I mean how are they surviving on the border of Colombia
2: well I, I mean actually what's amazing is how incredibly hospitable Colombians have been and accommodating many of these people have found accommodation around the border area with Colombians there is some sort of joint citizenship between Colombians and Venezuelans in this part of the country so there are places where people can stay and there's huge passage across the border Frankly, Now, I mean, one of the things about this is that this has been ongoing. This this place was set up in 2017. So we're not talking about a humanitarian situation that has just developed. This has been ongoing for quite some time. It was set up by a pastor, Pastor David, and is now being supported by USAID. And this started off as a voluntary um, initiative two years ago. And as I said, thousands of people are now being um, provided for here. And that give you some level, as I said before, of the desperation that's going on over the board in Venezuela.
0: Thank you so much, Bruno. A very tense situation. We know you'll stay on top of it. And thank you for that very interesting perspective as well. Well, that's it for ABC News Live's Debrief. I'm Natalie Brunel. Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you tune in to our political show, The Briefing Room at 3 o'clock and World News Prime at 8 p.m. And of course, remember to download our ABC News app. Take care.